Hebrews chapter 10 this morning, Hebrews chapter 10, and once you get there, why don't you stand with me as we read our text? I know we're up and down a little bit here. That is, um, uh, our church likes to practice what we call aerobic worship, up and down, up and down. You know, you kind of get it in, Um, but I want us to uh, read our text to get started here this morning. Hebrews chapter 10 beginning in verse 32, and then when you're seated, keep your Bibles open because we're going to look to this chapter for several other insights as well. Beginning in verse 32, it says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay." But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Father, thank you for your precious word. Would you take it now, Father, and would you instruct us? Would you teach us? Would you convict us? And most of all, Father, would you transform us with the living word? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you can be seated. Now, the passage that we just read, let me just tell you a little bit about what was going on, is addressing believers who had been facing a great deal of suffering, a great deal of trial and difficulty. They'd been publicly humiliated for their faith. They they had been verbally maligned and insulted because of their faith. In some cases, they'd been imprisoned, and some of these believers had even lost their possessions Uh, And even those who had not suffered themselves had faced anxiety and fear from the emotional trauma that had resulted by simply uh, standing alongside those who had been mistreated. And as a result, they were discouraged. They were depressed. They were, in some cases, perhaps uh, living in fear. And their confidence and faith was being stretched. And for some of them, it was wavering. And so the writer of Hebrews, which I believe personally was the Apostle Paul, but we're not sure, the writer in Hebrews in the previous verses from what we'd read had already just been warning these believers about the dangers of giving up the faith or kind of throwing in the towel. And so after doing that, then he wants to bring them a message to encourage their faith. Those are the verses that we just read to encourage their faith in this season of uncertainty, in their uh, time of weariness. And he calls on them to take heart. He calls on them not to shrink back, and he calls on them to endure with strong faith. You know, I don't remember a season like we've gone through this past year. I don't remember a season like that ever in my life or my ministry. It's been a tough year. And you know, we hear people saying things like this, I can't wait till... 2021 gets here. You've heard that. I can't wait for the new year. Now, uh, it's interesting because we all want the new year, but it, it may be that there's more of the same. Do you realize that? The new year doesn't know to turn off the bad stuff and turn on new stuff. 
So it's not like, you know, 2021 is a reset necessarily. In fact, it, at this stage in December, it looks like we're going to still be dealing with some stuff into the new year, including social unrest, political unrest, uh, COVID-19, those sorts of things don't appear to be going away anytime soon. And, uh, you know, there's been a great deal of stress. In this past year, 2020, uh, we are told that suicide has escalated uh, significantly across the country. And you, I guess you can understand how people that have no hope could find themselves in such despair. The CDC, the Center for Disease Control, tells us, I read a report last week as I was working on this message, that, that anxiety disorders and depressive disorders have significantly increased this year over 2019. Well, that stands to reason, doesn't it? Maybe you felt more stress than you felt in a long time, probably. Maybe you felt more worry or anxiety than you have in, in a long, long time, probably so. And you know, for many believers, it's even rocked their faith. It's even caused them to, to wonder, does God know? Is God with us? Is, what is God up to? And, and there are believers who have, their faith has been rocked and shaken. And there are believers who are depressed and discouraged. That may be you today. And uh, that's the people that the writer of Hebrews was writing to. They had confessed Christ as followers, though not all of them were probably followers of Christ. They had at least confessed it. And they had lived through some very difficult times, and they were living in some very difficult times. There was a great amount of stress upon them. And no doubt, many of them felt like uh, throwing in the towel, you know, just kind of giving up, just like turning their back on the faith and just saying, God, it's just not working for me and, and, and I'm not getting through. And so he writes them to encourage them. In fact, he says, you need to endure. That's what he says in verse 36. You need to endure because he says you have in the past, you can do it again. And it is an appropriate message for us today, living in the kind of season that we are in, a season that has taken its toll on, on many people and many believers. And if you're one of those today sitting here and say, man, I, I just don't know how much longer I can go on, I want to encourage you with, with the words that the writer of Hebrew gives us. In fact, the, the truth is, if you're feeling depressed or discouraged or in despair I hope that you're going to have some hope when this message is over and, and because that's what uh, the writer is doing. He's giving hope. He's telling them, don't throw away your confidence in God. We sang about confidence in God earlier, if you noticed uh, this morning. Don't throw away your confidence uh, in God. Don't let the circumstances that you're going through and the stresses that you may feel and the anxieties and all that, don't let it shake your confidence in God. That's what he's writing to them because they were at that point. Their, their life spiritually had become fragile. You say, well, I'm kind of there. Well, I've got some good news for you. Uh, first of all, I want to tell you that you're not alone. And you're not the first person to be here. You're not the first person to deal with these kinds of stresses and anxiety. But you need to endure. Can anybody say amen to that? I need to endure. I need some endurance, some help. So, I, in fact, I don't think anyone in this room doesn't need that. Now, when it comes to patient patiently enduring and, and the word here in verse 36 when he talks about endurance is in the Greek it is the idea of patient endurance it's not just enduring it is patiently uh, enduring and when it comes to patiently enduring I want to tell you something now listen write this down here's what I want you to know that when it comes to patiently enduring with God 
timing is more important than time, right? When it comes to enduring, timing is more important than time. You see, so many of us, we want it now. We want it fixed now. We want everything to be better and over. And we live in a moment of the instant, right? That's part of the reason. We're, we're, pretty, uh, we're in a pretty unique age where we can get just about anything we want within a day or so. And so we want instant solutions. We want instant gratification. We, we want instant satisfaction. And when we, when we face things like we're facing and we don't get that instant satisfaction or those instant solutions, I want to tell you, it can, it can really shake us up. We're just, we've been trained that way. In fact, the word tomorrow has almost become a dirty word uh, in our culture of life on demand, getting what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. And often with God, there is a time of waiting between the time that you live in and the time that you receive the promise of God. In fact, that's what he says in verse 36. So you need to endure. And, and notice, and I'll talk about this at the end of the message, he connects enduring with the will of God and the promises that we receive as uh, a result of that. But we want it now. And God sometimes is saying, I need you to go the distance because I'm doing something that you don't even understand. So keep doing my will and endure until the promise, until you receive the promise. Years ago, I read a book, one of my favorite uh, real life stories about Sir Ernest Shackleton. And I encourage you uh, to at least watch the movie. They later made a movie of the book, Endurance, by um, Alfred Lansing. And um, the Endurance was the name of a ship. It was a ship that Shackleton and 27 crew members sailed to the Antarctic. They were going to make the first cross-Antarctic journey. And so they were sailing uh, down that way, and they got to the, what's known as the Weedale uh, Sea area, and ice uh, began to close in on their ship. And they decided Shackleton made a fateful decision. As the captain, he thought, we'll just we'll stay here uh, right now until the ice kind of frees itself up and we can journey on. And so they stopped with 100 miles to go amidst all of this ice, but the ice didn't dissipate. Instead, it got worse. In fact, it, it kind of locked up around the boat. And for 10 months, they lived on their ship. And, uh, and they w could come and go off onto the ice flows and those sorts of things, but they were waiting and it just didn't let go. It just got worse and worse and worse. And finally, they had to abandon ship after living on it for 10 months as the ice closed in and finally crushed the ship endurance and it sank. They took from it all the supplies they could and uh, three lifeboats that they pulled with them across the ice, hoping to find some open water. They eventually found open water uh, after several weeks of living on the ice flows. And uh, when they found the open water, they got into the three lifeboats and they sailed to a, an island called Elephant Island. It is uninhabited. And they were hoping that somehow some seagoing vessel would eventually see them down in this Antarctic area and, and uh, spot them. This was 1914. Nothing happened. And after a few weeks there on Elephant Island with their rations running uh, desperately low, Ernest Shackleton uh, chose to set out in one of the lifeboats and cross, listen to this, 800 miles of the worst ocean in the world hoping to reach with just their compass 
and uh, the sky to navigate by hoping to reach um, South Georgia Island where there was a whaling station. 800 miles, that was the closest thing to civilization. And they set out, he and four other men, in one of these lifeboats. It's a remarkable story. And believe it or not, they finally made it to that, that island after several weeks sailing this or, or rowing this uh, lifeboat. They left most of the crew back on Elephant Island. Said, he said, I'll be back. And I'll, he was the first guy to say, I'll be back. And he did. He came back. But here's what happened. They got to finally remarkably against all the odds in this small lifeboat across 800 miles of open ocean through storms and waves that were uh, over 10 and 12 feet uh, uh, consistently in the journey. They made it to South Georgia Island, but only one problem. They landed on the wrong side of the island. They landed on the side of South Georgia Island where there was nothing. And in order to get help, Shackleton realized that he was going to have to cross the mountains on foot to get to the whaling station. <clears throat> he and two others that uh, were with them as the four crew decided they would try to get over the mountains. By the way, all of the inhabitants on South Georgia Island later said there's no way a human can cross those mountains and get here. They're impassable. And yet after 36 hours of climbing and tracking Shackleton and two of his comrades made it into that whaling, uh, whaling vi uh, village on the other side of the island. They said, how'd you do it? He said, we had help. In his journal, he later would write, listen to this. He said, it seemed as we made our 36-hour uh, 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 trek across these unnamed mountains of South Georgia, it seemed to me often that there were four, not three of us. I said nothing about that to my companions, but it seemed like there was somebody with us. But afterwards, Worsley, which was kind of his lieutenant, said this to him, boss, I don't know about you, but I, while we were crossing the mountains, had the curious feeling that there was another person traveling with us. And by the way, Shackleton was a believer. And and he did go back and pick up those men on Elephant Island. It's a remarkable story. But here's why I tell you that. He said there was a presence. Somebody was with us doing the impossible. We were uh, doing. And so the book is named Endurance. They endured, but they had help. I want to tell you today, I want to encourage you. Uh, if you say, man, my life is full of stress, or I'm depressed, or I'm discouraged. My faith is wobbly. Uh, I'm having trouble just trusting God through all that's going on. I want to tell you something. You can endure because there's somebody with you. There's somebody with you. His presence will go with you. He has said this, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so if you're at a point of, of discouragement or despair or any of those things, please know that you're not alone and that he is there. And with that in mind, the counsel that the writer gives here, I want to share with you. And I want to share four things with you. The first thing I want you to see is the reflection of endurance. We see that in verse 32, the first verse we wrote. He says, and underline this if you take notes in your Bible, but recall or circle that word recall or remember depending on what translation you're using. But recall the former days. Now, I want you to know something. This is a command. I love to, I love to point that out. You've listened to me long enough to know that anytime there is an imperative in the Greek, which is a command, I like to tell you that because when you have a command from Scripture, it is not an optional kind of thing. 
In other words, the, the writer isn't saying, here, here's an idea. He's saying, do this. And the writer of Hebrews says right here, he says, recall the former days. Uh, what's he talking about? He's talking about the days when their faith was strong, when it was fresh, when it was vital. And by the way, uh, he's saying when it was strong and vital, even though you were undergoing persecution or suffering or facing some kind of difficulty. And he's telling them that because he knew they had grown tired. They had grown uh, weak and weary. I've had a lot of believers tell me in the past few months, I'm just tired of this whole thing. I'm just tired of the adjustments and all of those uh, uh, sorts of things. They were discouraged. Many are discouraged today and ready to throw in the towel. They were ready to quit, but he wants them to know the struggles and the trials are not too great for them to bear, that they can endure. They have done it in the past. He reminds them because of that, because if you will remember how you came through and you were strong in the faith, you can do that again. You, were, uh, you, you endured before, you can endure again. By recalling how their faith had got them through, he is calling on them to endure with faith again. Now, no follower of Christ should stay locked in the past. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, go back and live back there. That's not what he's saying. But we dare not forget our past. And that is his point. When we recall uh, what God has done in the past, then it helps us in the present. So we look back and say, oh, remember that? Can you think of some things in your life that if you look back on, you say, wow, God brought me through. Can you do that? Can you think of things? I can. I can think of things at the time I really didn't understand, but God brought me through. And I can now look back. By the way, spiritual vision is often 2020 when we look back, but not in the moment, right? It's kind of hard sometimes in the moment to see that. But, but here we are. Why? Because God has brought us through. And you say, well, I'm, I'm going through something right now that he needs to bring me through. And the good news is because he has in the past, you can say he will today and he will tomorrow. And so I have this kind of confidence in him as we sing about. I have this kind of, I have this kind of courage to face the things uh, of my life right now. So we dare not forget our past. We don't, look, we don't recall so we can go back. That's, you know, there is a nostalgia that is dangerous for Christians. A nostalgia that always makes the past look better than it was. Oh, it was so great, and we forget all the problems. And if we're not careful, we say, oh, the past, it was so great. There's a nostalgia that we have to be careful with. But there's also the importance of looking back and saying, you know what? I remember a time I didn't know how I was going to make it, but I did. God brought me through. And because he did there or there or there, because he did, guess what? He's going to bring me through what I'm going through. He's going to bring me through this season. He's going to bring me through the things that, that the devil is trying to use to discourage and to frustrate me. So we recall not to go backwards, but we actually recall the past in order to go forward. Does that make sense? Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 77. In fact, write, this, write these two verses down. You don't, not the verse, but the reference. Psalm 77, verses 11 and 12. Listen to what he says. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your works. I will meditate on your mighty deeds. You know what the psalmist is saying? I'm not going to let what, what I'm facing bring depression and discouragement and despair. You know why? Because I'm going to remember the mighty works of God in the past. 
I'm going to think about what God brought me through. I'm going to think about how God delivered me. I'm going to think about what God has done in the past that can only be attributed to him. And so I'm not going to think about the problems. I'm going to think about the mighty works of God. I'm going to meditate on those things. That's what the psalmist says. That helped the psalmist face the issues of his day and go forward. And so the writer here is saying that the God who was faithful in your past is the God who will be faithful in your present. Right? If he was faithful in the past. You know why we can say that? Because nothing has changed about God. God is no different today than he was 10 zillion years ago. God is no different today. And he's no different today than he'll be 10 billion years into the future. Uh, and so because of that, uh, uh, we don't quit. We, we take courage. We don't give up. The God of yesterday is the God of today, and he is the God of all of your tomorrows. So, so we must remember that. But we have this problem. We have short memories, don't we? We easily forget the goodness of God. We forget his mighty works uh, we forget his deliverance. We forget all those things that he has, has gone through with us. Has God brought you through something before? Has he? Can you think that God has brought me through something? Now listen, if he's brought you through something before, don't you think he'll bring you through again if you'll trust him? But we forget just this selective memory thing. It's like Israel. You remember Israel for 400 years 400 years, they called out to God, God, deliver us from the Egyptians, deliver us from slavery with the Egyptians, deliver us 400 years. And finally, God says to Moses, I have heard the cries of my people. You go and get them. Moses went to get them. God did all his mighty works. Remember all the things that God did with his mighty hand. Y'all remember that? The plagues, all of those things, God did all of that. God delivered them. They left Egypt with a great plunder, all they could carry, all the wealth they could take with them. They were happy, rejoicing, headed out to the promised land. That is what God had, had given them, land flowing with milk and honey. Moses, you're our hero. Thank you for leading us out. God, look what you did. We will praise God. Here they go. After 400 years of, of praying, God, please deliver us. Here they go. <laughs> Doesn't take them long. They forgot all of the, They forgot the frogs. They forgot the Passover. Uh, they forgot the boils and the diseases that God had brought on their behalf to free them. They forgot all of those mighty miracles and mighty deeds. They forgot the parting of the Red Sea. They for Can you imagine that? They forgot all of that. You say, well, I'd never do that. Really? Have you? They forgot all of that. <laughs> And before long, you know what they're saying? This is what they're saying. Moses, you're not a hero. You're a wicked man. You brought us out here to die in the wilderness. And Moses keeps telling them, stay the course and you will see the hand of God. And you know what their response is? We want to go back to slavery. Let us go back. You know, all those breaking, making bricks without straw, that wasn't so bad. And hey, uh, an occasional beating by an Egyptian, uh, an occasional beating I probably deserved. So let's go back. Let, let's go back instead of go, go forward. And that's what, that's what, why? Because they have selected memory. You say, yeah, 
we're smarter than it. Are we really? Every believer that has followed God very far knows that God has brought them through dark and difficult times and probably has said something like the Egyptians, God is so good and I'll never doubt him again. I'll trust him all along the way. I'll trust him no matter what. And then, then, suddenly there comes some new trial. Suddenly there comes some circumstances that we don't see a way out of. And before you know it, guess what we're doing? We're saying, God, what are you up to? And we've forgotten the mighty works of God. One time, Allison, she looked at me and she was so sweet. She said, Ray, you are so wonderful. And, uh, and she told me, she said, if I ever, ever criticize you about anything, I want you to remind me of what I'm saying right now about how wonderful you are. And you know, um, I've had to remind her many, 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 many times over the years. She forgets how wonderful I am. And I have to just constantly remind her, you remember, I'm wonderful. I miss her wonderful. Now, I say all that jokingly. That has never actually happened. But when it comes to God, it's sometimes like that, isn't it? We forget sometimes just how, how good God is and how wonderful God is and how wonderful he's been and he has to remind us when we face some new difficulty or some new trial or we forget how God has brought us through in the past. And so the writer here in our passage is saying, don't forget. Don't forget. Remember. Remember how wonderful God is and how he has been with you all along the way. When, even when you didn't know he was there, he was there. He's always brought you through. And he will always be with you, whatever you face. So don't be discouraged. Don't lose your confidence in God. Don't lose your confidence in, in, in believing and trusting in him. Don't be discouraged or anxious or fearful and depressed. Instead, remember the mighty works of God in the past. And here's the second thing. If you want to endure, he talks about the reward of endurance. Verse 35, don't throw away your confidence, which has, did you notice this? Great reward. Great reward. Don't throw away your confidence. Amy Carmichael, who was a, a famous missionary to India's children, listen to this, said her ability to trust God began with her confidence in God's character. Do you get that? Her confidence in God's character. She believed that God is first and always a loving father. She believed God was in control of everything, and everything he allowed into her life, she believed, was ultimately for her good. And as she, what she called, tucked herself in to God by trusting him as, as a little child does, she believed that he was able to carry her through anything that she faced. But did you see where it started? It started when she began to trust the character of God. At some point in time, here's what, uh, what he means by a reward that comes from confidence, and that is our confidence is so connected to who God is that we trust him no matter what we face. And listen, if you don't have confidence in God, you're in trouble. It's only a matter until you will feel like throwing in the towel. It's only a matter of time you'll say, it doesn't work for me. If you lose confidence in God, you've lost everything. 
Does that make sense? And so what do we mean when we talk about this reward, this confidence and this reward? Well, a couple things jot down. It means, first of all, you've got to have confidence in the person of God. You've got to have confidence in who he is. It, it means we have to believe that God is personally and completely trustworthy. We have to make that decision at some point in time. I don't have time to tell it a story about how Billy Graham got to that place where he had to finally say, God, I trust you beyond my ability to understand everything that's going on. There's a point in time if you and I are going to endure whatever comes our way, not just the season we're in, but I'm talking about whatever comes your way. There's a point in time where you have to say, God, I trust you completely. I trust you beyond my capacity to understand and, and make sense of everything that's going on in my life. You see, he is and he always has been consistent. And as I said earlier, he is unchanging. Why? He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He does not change, not one iota. And by the way, if God ever changes, we're in trouble. If God changes, then there's no reason to have confidence in God. And that's why the scripture tells us that he doesn't change. That's why he made clear, I want you to know something, I don't change. He says that, and then James, writing in the New Testament, said, all good and perfect gifts come down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness or shifting shadows. What he's saying is, there's no change. And so, because of that, we can have confidence. Now, if God could change, or God needed to change, or God needed to adjust himself, then it would be hard to have confidence in him because he may throw us a curve. Well, I had to adjust to something. I had to change to something. But God doesn't change. And because God doesn't change, we have to say his person and his character is stable. Now, you've met people that aren't stable, you know, in their character. And, and there's a period in their life they're like this. There's a period in their life they're like this. It may be good. It may be better. But it may be worse. Why? Because... Because their character changes. God's character doesn't change. And so because of that, you have to, you have to say, I'm going to trust, uh, I'm going to put my confidence in the person of who God is. He is always the same. And what we do is the reward comes when we have confidence in him because our focus shifts to, to uh, 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 who God is instead of uh, the dilemmas of our life. The fact is, if you, if you focus on uh, uh, culture or you focus on COVID or you focus on circumstances, they, these things always change and you're going to be discouraged if you focus on those things. But the character of God does not change. And so if you focus on the character of God, guess what? It is a prescription to avoid discouragement. Because you say, look, by the way, there's nothing going on in this life. There's nothing going on in your world. Even your personal, uh, define it as narrow as you want to or as broad as you want to. And there's nothing going on that God is not fully and totally aware of. There's nothing that takes him by surprise. He never wrings his hands in heaven saying, uh-oh, didn't see that one coming. God is completely in control. And if he is completely in control, then you can trust him. And when you trust him beyond your feelings. See, feelings get us in trouble sometimes. I'm for feelings. Let's have them. Let's just not be controlled by them. All right? Because if you're not careful, you know, you'll look at the circumstances. Instead of looking at God and the person of God, you'll look at your circumstances, and then you'll get depressed. 
Or you'll look at what's going on around you and you get discouraged, you'll get depressed. And, and none of us are immune to that. David wasn't immune to that. Psalm 42, I sometimes think, was put in the Bible just for me. Because it's a, it's a psalm about a guy that's discouraged. We all battle that. And I, I go to it when I get discouraged. That's where I go. I go to the Word of God and I go to Psalm 42. David, David writes in the psalms. He's talking about his own battle. It's interesting. He's having a conversation with himself in Psalm 42. You mark that down because you'll go read that psalm when you get discouraged, and it will encourage your heart. And he writes, one of the verses he says in Psalm 42, verse 5, he says, why, he's having this conversation with himself. He just lets us see what he's uh, saying to himself. He says, why are you cast down? Why are you depressed? That's what he's saying. Why are you discouraged, oh, my soul? And why are you in turmoil within you? Have you ever had the circumstances around you creep? you know, create that stress inside of you and, you know, and maybe even an anxiety attack or something like that. Have you ever had that happen, you know, inside? That's what he says. And why is there so much turmoil within me? He's he's asking himself questions. Y'all ever talk to yourself? (laughs) Come on, be honest. You're in church. Jesus is watching. How many of you talk to yourself, have a conversation with yourself? All right, glad to see we got a congregation full of dysfunctional people. No, it's not dysfunctional. They tell us everybody talks to themselves. But you know, you've heard the other side of that, right? The problem isn't if you talk to yourself. The problem is if you answer yourself, right? Well, I don't know who made that rule up. We all do that too. I mean, so if that makes you dysfunctional, everybody is dysfunctional. But it doesn't. David answers himself. He says, why are you cast down soul? Why is there all this stress and anxiety, turmoil inside of you? And then he answers himself. And by the way, this psalm is so great about all that. And he says this, hope in God. He rebukes himself. He said, why are you cast down? Think about God. Here's what he's really, think about who God is. So why are you cast down? Why are you discouraged? Why are you depressed? Why are you stressed out? Think about God. And he says to himself, David, hope in God. And then he goes on to say, for I shall again praise him. I will again praise him because he is my salvation and my God. You know what he says? The, the, he, he answers himself. He says, God, you're my salvation. I have salvation because of you. You're my salvation. You are my hope. I'm putting my hope. Why do you get depressed? Why do you get discouraged? Why do you get anxious? You know why? Because you put your hope in the wrong thing. And that's what he said. I, I, so he says, hope in God. He said, if you hope in God, guess what you'll do? You will praise him again. Because you know what happens? You get your eyes off of the stuff and the stress, and you get your eyes on him, and you realize he's my salvation. Look, if if God takes me out tomorrow, it's okay. Why? Because I'm going to be with him. He says, "So, so stop living in despair. Understand who he is. Okay, Uh, uh, the second part there is... Um, confidence uh, in the power of God. I told you confidence in the person of God, but the reward is also from our confidence in the power of God. Now, let me say this to you. A a, A confident faith is the product, listen, of trusting a competent God. He's competent. He is able. In other words, a confident faith, he says, He tells us right here, don't throw away your confidence. He's talking about faith in God. Don't throw away your confidence. 
A confident faith is the result of trusting in a competent God. He's able. He's competent. God has never faced an obstacle that beat him. Never. And by the way, he's never lost a battle, and he never will. Never. And so we have confidence in the power of God. That is the reward of confidence. And that's why Isaiah 41.10 is such a powerful verse. Write that down, Isaiah 41.10, because you're going to want this verse. In fact, you're going to want to post this verse somewhere as a reminder when the devil jumps on you and tries to uh, fill you full of anxiety and despair. Remember uh, Isaiah 41.10 and a competent God. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, discouraged, depressed, anxious. Why? For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isn't that an incredible verse? That's a verse you're going to want to post somewhere. That's a verse that I keep handy because I have a short memory. Hello? Like we were talking about. And oh, oh yeah, fear not for I'm with you. Be not dismayed. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And let me tell you something that I do that might be helpful to you. Take the you out and put your name in. You ever done that? Fear not for I'm with you, Ray. Be not dismayed for, for I am your God, Ray. I will strengthen you. Ray, I will help you, Ray. I will uphold you, Ray, with my righteous right hand. Put your name in there. And that verse becomes very powerful and very personal. The writer's point then in Hebrews is confidence in God is confidence in God is essential to enduring for God. And if you give up your confidence, you will become a faith victim rather than a faith victor. Okay, y'all ready for number three? Number three, I want you to see the result of endurance. What is the result of endurance? Now, I put two passages there on your outline. Verse 36 in particular, I'll come to in just a second. I also put uh, Romans 5.4. Now, the context is completely different in both of those. For example, Romans 5.4 is talking about the results of endurance. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. There are things, there are spiritual byproducts of endurance in our life. And you can go back and look at that passage separately, but that's not the context really that we're in right now. The context here, he says, in verse 36 that you may receive the promise what is promised that's a different context but it is a result of endurance now here's what I'd say to you about that never doubt that God has a purpose in our need to endure He's always working in our circumstances. And as Romans says, he's always working to produce character in us. We talk about relying on the character of God, but God is trying to reproduce that character in us, and endurance helps do that. It, it helps us mature, and it helps secure us in our relationship with him. But the endurance spoken of here is not a passive kind of endurance. You know, 
It's not the kind of endurance you say, well, I just got to take my licks and my lumps and get on through some of that's not what he's talking about here. In fact, William Barclay, the commentator, whom I don't always agree with, to be honest, about a number of things, but he wrote something that's really good about this kind of endurance. He said, it is the kind of endurance, it's not the kind of endurance, he said, that sits down and bows its head and just lets things descend upon it and it just passively endures until the storm passes by. He said, that's not what it is. He said, instead, this kind of endurance is a, an endurance that's a blazing hope. It bears things uh, up knowing that these things are leading to a goal of bringing glory to God. It's not an endurance, he says, which grimly waits to the, to the end. It just, it's coming. The end is coming. I'm just going to wait it out and take my lumps. But it is patience which radiantly hopes in the dawn that is coming with Christ. And, and, and the writer here talks about that. We'll look at it in just a second. But in, in our passage, the, the writer points to a couple of things that are the result of endurance. One is that we accomplish the will of God. It's a result of endurance. He says so uh, right there in verse 36. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, in other words, in enduring, you will accomplish the will of God. And it points to purpose, our purpose. We endure to accomplish this work of God. It may not feel like, it, like you're doing the will of God when you're enduring trials of life. Rarely does a person say, I'm going through a trial and it's the will of God. I, I am enduring for the will of God. This trial is for the glory of God. We don't feel that way when we're facing some difficulty or some trial or, or something that's put us in some uh, sense of desperation. We don't, we don't do that. But I want to tell you, the will of God is not always spotted in the moment. You know, I said earlier that, that most of the time our spiritual vision is 20-20 hindsight. We look back and say, oh, yeah, I see what God was doing. Oh, yeah, I see what God was doing. Yeah, oh, yeah, that, that's what God was doing. We can look back and we can see the will of God uh, um, in, in reverse. Does that make sense? So you can look back and you say, well, at the time, though, I didn't, at the time I didn't see that. I have to tell you, I've got some experiences in my life where I can go, I can look back. I'm thinking of one right now. I can look back and I say, oh, now I can look back and I can connect all the dots. You know what I mean? I can but at the time I was experiencing those things, I couldn't connect any dots. In fact, you know what I was doing? I was saying, God, God, bring me through. God, get me through. God, God, what are you doing? God, where are you? And all along, God was accomplishing his purpose and his will through me. I was having to endure. He was developing character in me, a reflection of his own character. That's what he was doing as he was bringing me through this. I can look back now and say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You got some of those, right? Do like this. If that's true, you can look back now and you can see what God was doing. But I'll tell you this. I can look back and I say, thank God for those things. But I don't want to do them again. Right? There will be new ones. I can look back and say, God, now I see what you were up to. I was having to endure to accomplish your will. And now I can see how your will was accomplished. Praise God, man, that was good. It developed me and it built me, but I don't want to do it again. But we accomplish the will of God. I'll tell you what else happens. Another result is we receive the promise from the word of God. When you, when you are accomplishing the will of God, he says it right there so that you may receive what is promised. You receive the promise from the word of God and doing the will of God. Now, the promises of God are byproducts of persevering. You know, rarely does God make a promise that doesn't require a response from us. 
Rarely. Now, there are some where God just acts as a gracious father and just says, because you're my child, this is what I'm going to do. But those are rare. Most of the promises of God, Bradley, are yes and amen. Where we say, yes, God says, here's a promise, but here's a response that I expect out of you. And we say, yes, or I agree, Lord, I'll do, I'll respond I respond to you. That's what happens in most of the promises. And so what God says is, is uh, that when you endure and do the will of God, guess what? You will receive the promises. And in this particular case, the promise he's talking about uh, is the promise of the eternal kingdom uh, for those who endure through genuine faith. Now, stay with me. You know, we, we don't have a lot more but stay with me. In Luke 18, 8, I want you to get this. Jesus asked this probing question. He says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? Will he find faith on earth? And in Matthew 24, 13, in context of the last days, Jesus says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, we're not talking about earning your salvation through endurance. That's not, what, that's not what those passages are talking about, and it's not what this passage is, is talking about. But rather, uh, rather, what it's talking about is not earning our salvation through endurance, but demonstrating the validity of our salvation through endurance. You see, frankly, endurance is an evidence of genuine faith. We've all seen people come and go in connection with the kingdom of God and the church of God. You know what I'm talking about? We've all seen people, people that maybe looked all of a sudden, they, they looked the role, they said the right things. They, I mean, you just thought, man, God's got a hold of them. And then one day they just disappear. One day they just kind of turn their backs on everything. One day they just kind of walk away from a faith that they really didn't have to start with. We've all seen that. that something happens, they get their feelings hurt, you know, or they, they get mad. Or, or, or I've even had people say to me, even during this uh, uh, pandemic, I've had people say, well, uh, you know, we just have gotten out of the habit now because of the pandemic. And that spooks me. When I hear that, I'm not questioning their salvation or anything like that. But, and some people just get so consumed by the world that they just walk away from the things of God. The world's ideologies and philosophies cause them to turn their back on God or to treat that as just to say, oh, that, that was just a religious season of my life. Endurance is evidence of genuine faith. What's going on when we see that happen where people just, you know, suddenly they just kind of disappear or, or they just, they turn their backs or they, they walk away. What's really going on there? Well, the Bible answers that. I don't have to answer it for you. I'm going to give you the Bible answer from 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. John writes and says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Do you get that? So if you ever wonder what happened, what, what was the deal? The deal was they went out, John says, because they were never really one of us. I'm not talking about COVID people that are just not ready to come back to church. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't know. It may be. But what I'm talking about, you, you know, people that, that, that you thought they had the real thing. And then one day, you know, I've been asked, what do you think God's doing with, with all this stuff in the church? Let me tell you something that might be a little frightening. God may be using what's going on in our world to purify the church. 
God may be trying to purify the church. I'll tell you this, I don't think the church is going to look the same ever again. Uh, I may be wrong, you know, we all want normal, but I think the normal is going to be different. But God may be, somebody said, do you think God's punishing us? I said, no, I don't know. I guess he could be punishing us. I said, I think he's purifying us. You know, think about this. If, if pandemic can affect us the way it is, can you imagine what will happen if we ever fall under severe persecution? If pandemic can affect us like this, what is going to happen to the church in America if it falls under persecution? It's going to look a lot smaller than it does right now. God may be purifying the church to find out when he returns if there will be faith on earth. Y'all tracking with me? Okay. So um, let, me, let me close because I've got one more thing I want to share with you. I want to show you the reason for endurance. And we just looked at results. Let's talk about the reason. Verses 37 through 39. Verse 37 says, For yet a little while, this is an important verse, key verse, yet a little while and the coming one will come. Who's he talking about, class? He's talking about Jesus. In a little while, Jesus is going to return. And he will not delay. Notice he, he emphasizes that when he comes back, he will not delay. The reason for endurance, enduring faith endures because it keeps its eyes on things that are coming. Jesus Christ and the heavenly reward, that becomes the focus. It keeps its eyes on those things. This is the big motive for endurance. The fact that Christ is going to return should inspire us to go the distance, to endure. The time of his return is fixed. Listen, now listen carefully to what I'm, I'm saying. The time of Jesus' return is fixed. The Bible has already stated that. It's fixed. Jesus is, there's a time, a point in time in the future. It may be an hour or two hours or two days or two months or uh, 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 20 years or 200 years. I don't know, but it's fixed. And because it's fixed, that means when that time comes in the cosmic scheme in the, uh, of God's plan, when that moment comes, Jesus returns. And when he returns, he won't delay. I'm not... I'm not adept at soccer. I know that comes as a shock to everybody. But uh, I I still don't really understand a lot about soccer. You know, my son-in-law played it, and he he loves it, and he can tell my daughter played it for three years. And they can explain it to me, but every time I watch it, I need to have it explained to me. And, And one of the peculiarities of soccer to me, and I've been to World Cup games and seen them and with my son-in-law and say, now, why did that just happen? And he would explain it to me and that sort of thing. But one of the things that, that is different to me in soccer than all other sports is that at the end of the game, when the clock runs out, the referee can add time to the clock. Arbitrarily, he can just say, I think we need to add four minutes. And just arbitrarily, he can add time on, on, on the clock. I, I wish that were true of my football team. We just add some time on the clock, you know, maybe. Uh, but you can't. And that's the only sport I know that in. And I think there are people today who believe that, that when Jesus gets ready to come, he might just adjust the clock and add some time. Do you know the Bible says that's not going to happen? Jesus isn't going to say, oh, you know what, so-and-so was really going to get his act together. She was going to get her act together. Are they going to really fall in line with my will? So I'm going to adjust the clock. I'm going to wait and give a couple more years, and then I'm going to return. It's fixed. 
And when, it ha- when it, the clock, the cosmic clock, the, the eternal clock hits that moment, Jesus is going to return and it says he won't delay. He won't stutter. He won't say, I, here, here I, I think I'm going. When do I? It won't be anything like that. It'll be, and he's gone. Which means this, it'll be too late to adjust. There are people who think, well, I'll get it right at the end. I'll get it right then. No, no, you won't. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to get it right. The scripture teaches us the time of his return is fixed. And I want to encourage you today to endure. And if you need to, get right with God. But don't quit. Listen, don't quit. Don't let up. Don't let the circumstances uh, wobble your fate. Don't throw in the towel. And don't let the enemy of your soul tell you that all is lost, that there's no hope. And fill your, your head and your heart with despair and discouragement. Don't let him do that. Because our hope is not in what's going on here. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And that's why we endure. Because in a little while, he's going to return. And when he returns, what we want to be able to do is hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You endured. And I I maintain this. In this life, this entire life on some level is about enduring for the glory of God. It's about enduring for the glory of God because we have all eternity in front of us. Hello? We have all eternity in front of us in which to rejoice and celebrate. But right now, there are seasons where we just have to endure, but we endure because he's going to return. We endure because we remember who he is. We endure because we know he is with us and he can take us through to the other side. And so instead of allowing the devil to heap doubt and guilt on us and here's what he does he says you really he says you really want to endure because why would God allow you to go through what you're going through if God really loves you why would he he allow you to have to deal with what you have to do if God really cares why would he why why this why doesn't he do this if God really cares and you know the devil whispers that and he does that to break our resolve uh, to break us down, to beat us down and cause us to say, I, you know, my faith is weak. I just can't trust God anymore because I don't think God is with me. I don't think, Jesus already said, if you know him, the, the scriptures already said this, I will never leave you. God, I will never leave you or forsake you. It's not about do you feel like he's there. It's about the facts. And so I endure because I know he's with me and I know he'll take me through. And that's the message. It's the reason for endurance. I'm reading back through um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn's uh, Nobel Prize winning book, uh, Gulag Archipelago. And it's about his uh, being unfairly and unjustly accused in the Soviet Union and sentenced to life in prison in a Soviet gulag in Siberia. And in that, in that he tells a story about... Um, about endurance. You see, he, he began to despair after, after weeks and months and years of doing the same thing in the gulag. Every day he worked in the fields, like the other prisoners there, every day from sun up to sundown, he worked in the fields. It didn't matter if it was hot or cold, summer or winter, it didn't matter. His days were filled with back, back, uh, back-breaking labor and slow starvation because he wasn't being fed well. And one day, 
In particular, the hopelessness of his situation became too much for him to bear. And so Solzhenitsyn saw no reason to continue living, to continue fighting the system. He was going to be trapped there the rest of his life. And he began to think, and he's a, a scintillating intellect, and he began to think about the fact that his life was meaningless there. He's going to die in this Siberian gulag. And so he came to the conclusion his life could no longer make a difference in the world. And by the way, that's a, that's a beautiful illustration for the fact God has put us all here to have meaning. And when we lose meaning, we lose direction. And so that's where he was. And so he gave up. And he says he laid his shovel down on the ground in the field and he walked over to a kind of rickety old makeshift bench and he sat down. And he did that because what he assumed is, is uh, a, a gulag guard would come and and order him to get back into the field and work, and he would refuse the order, and then the, the soldier would take his shovel, which was pretty common, and then beat him to death right there. That's how he had decided, I'm going out. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to respond to them. They'll kill me, and this meaninglessness will be over. But what happened was altogether different. He had his head down, sitting on the bench, and before long, there was a presence beside him, and he looked over, and it was an old malnutrition, uh, uh, malnourished man standing beside him, had a stick, and that guy uh, uh, took the stick, and in front of Solzhenitsyn, he drew the shape of a cross. He didn't say a word to Solzhenitsyn, and then he turned, and he wobbled away back to the field. But Solzhenitsyn says as he looked down at the sign of the cross, his entire perspective changed. He suddenly said he knew that he was uh, only one man against an all-powerful empire, and yet in that moment he knew that there was something greater than the empire. There was something greater than the evil that he was experiencing, something greater than the Soviet Union. And he knew that the hope of all humanity, he said, was represented in the simple cross. And through the power of the cross, his life was changed. And he said he realized that through the simple cross, everything changed. He slowly got up, picked up his shovel, and he went back to work. Now, nothing outward had changed, he said, but inside, he had hope. He had hope to go on, to carry on. I want to tell you something today. If, you're, if you are discouraged or you're anxious or you're living in fear or despair, I want to tell you something. Put your eyes on the cross. Put your eyes on the cross. You know the Bible says this, by his stripes we are healed. Put your eyes on the cross. Put your trust in God. Find your hope in his kingdom, not in the kingdoms of this world, which are all, the Bible says, passing away. Put your hope in the eternal kingdom of God and hold on to the promises of his word. Will you pray with me, heads bowed, eyes closed? This morning, maybe you say that message, that message just resonates in my heart because whether you're watching by live stream or television or in this live audience, you, you, you say, I don't know that I know the man of the cross, the one where my hope is. I'm not sure if I died, I would be with him in the eternal kingdom, but I want to change that today. And right where you are in this auditorium or watching by live stream, you can call out to him. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 
You say, what do I say to him? In your heart, say something like this, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me, having mercy on me, shedding your blood for me, and having a plan and purpose for my life. Thank you for that. I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you died for my sins, all of my sins. So I receive the work you did on the cross for me, and I invite you to come into my life and be my Savior and my Lord and my Master and help me as I begin the new journey of transformation, you working through me, in me, and giving me the eternal hope that only you can give me. Maybe this morning, that's not the prayer you need to pray. You, you are a believer already. You've already trusted Christ, and you know for, with certain that He is your Savior, but you have allowed your eyes to get upon the issues of your life, the circumstances of the age, the philosophies of the world are driving you more than the truths of God. Why don't you just say to Him, Lord, I want to reconnect to your purpose. I want to reconnect to your plans for my life. And Father, I want to get my eyes off of the circumstances and keep them on you. Thank you, Lord, that you will never leave me or forsake me. And I renew my commitment to follow you and to endure just as you've brought me through in the past. I will endure into tomorrow. Lord Jesus, thank you that we have these confidences in you to know the certainty of our hope in Jesus Christ. Father, help us if it's day by day to get up and put our eyes upon you, to know that you are with us and not be swayed and wobbled in our faith, but to stay strong as we look back and see what you've brought us through, to encourage us to have confidence in you for where you'll take us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you will look this way for just a moment, those of you who are joining us by media, live stream, television, I want to urge you to do something. In fact, the same for this live audience. If you pray the prayer to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, we'd love to know about that. And we'd love for you to do something, to text the word pastor to us at 334-384-8080. It's on your screen, you can see that. Live audience, you can do the same thing. Text the word pastor. I prayed that prayer to trust Christ as my savior today. We wanna help you begin to move in the right direction. We're not gonna hound you, but we'll get you some growth material that'll help this new journey. We'd love to know that. Maybe you say, I'm already a believer, but there's coming a time when I'm gonna be returning physically to church and I want Ridgecrest to be my church home or family. We'd love to have you as a part of this family. Text the word JOIN, J-O-I-N, to us, and we'll take it from there. That same number, 334-384-8080. Text that to us. Live audience, you can do the very same thing. And let us know. I want to join. Every week, people are joining. As I've told you before, if we ever get everybody in here, we get returned to some semblance, and everybody in here, we're going to have a whole bunch of new family members. Isn't that cool? But maybe you're sitting in this uh, building. You say, I need to do that too. And so you can text it or you can actually, if you're live here with us, you can tear off the panel on the back of your worship folder and just check the decision that you're making today. I'm so glad you've been here. Remember, uh, 
to, uh, to be back with us tonight. Chuck will tell you a little bit about this unusual thing that we're doing um, for Sunday evening, but I hope you'll be back with us. We'll have plenty of room, but you come back. Chuck, come. If